the hell is going on here? They got me podcast at 7 o'clock on Monday morning. Now there's two podcasts in one week. What class of messing is this? Well, that's... This is how it is, right? It's St. Patrick's Week. And if you're not going to push the boat out on St. Patrick's Week, you're never going to do it at all. Uh, it's a busy one here in Stockholm, my friends. I hope it's busy. I hope it's pleasant wherever you are. I hope you have a bit of bacon soaking there. Or did you have the stew ready to go? Or did you have the Guinness in the fridge and a little bottle of whiskey maybe uh, hidden away somewhere for Thursday? And indeed, if you're in Stockholm, the parade on Saturday. And if you're not in Stockholm and you can get to Stockholm, the parade is still happening on Saturday regardless. Uh, I know, I think Ian Maloney in Gothenburg there will be playing Beans Bistro in Gothenburg there on Thursday, if I remember rightly. I made a bit of a mistake, actually, in the last episode. The Blues for Ukraine is taking place in Beerstums this Sunday, not last Sunday. I thought it was last Sunday, but uh, that's what I get for not paying more attention to Instagram. But listen, I thought uh, this week, given the dignity of it and what's going on and everything else like that, that it was worth uh, another podcast, right? And the reason for that is that there's a lot going on with the Irish community, not least the Irish business community and the political and diplomatic community. So I'm just back from Ireland House. Ireland House is where the ambassador is. Uh, Tourism Ireland, Board Bia, Enterprise Ireland, everybody is down there. And again, it was brilliant to see everybody down there. But this week is a busy week, right? Everybody's in their finery, right? All the young fellas who normally go around in tracksuit bottoms are all wearing suits to the office. I'm only joking. They don't ever wear tracksuit bottoms to work. Uh, they're all in their finery. Everybody's wearing a tie and they're all watching their P's and Q's. There's no swearing or talking about football at all because we have the Minister for Trade, Enterprise and Employment, Damien English, arrived in Stockholm yesterday as I'm talking to you. So he arrived on Monday and he's here for the week now and he's going back. Actually, he's flying back on St. Patrick's Day because he wants to be back in his own constituency to celebrate with his own people there in County Mead. And I was offered the chance to sit down and talk to him. And I'm going to say it's on your behalf because it was. I was there to, to represent the Irish community and to have a chat with him. So we just spent a half an hour or so there having a chat and covered all manner of things that hopefully will be of interest to you. So uh, I'm just going to present the chat to you in its, in its entirety. It's a little bonus podcast. It'll give you something to do. Kevin Carroll, if you're in the van now at 7 o'clock in the morning, right to work, you're welcome, son. Uh, again, we won't bother reading through the list of Swish numbers and everything else like that. You know it's a listener supported podcast. I will go on about that again next week. Not going to be doing, doing that now. Uh, I will hope to see you later on, but in the meantime, or later on, later on this week at the St. Patrick's Day festivities. But sure, I'll tell you what, I might even say a few words when this is over. So without further ado, let us hear from the man sent out from Dal Aaron to represent the fine nation that is Ireland here in Sweden on St. Patrick's Week, Minister Damien English. sound we can hear there that's water now that's not whiskey here in Ireland House <laughs> not, that yet. not yet that'll come a little bit later in the evening you arrived in Sweden yesterday for the St Patrick's Day celebration a week of celebrations but also a lot of meetings what has your impression been of Sweden so far uh, actually it's been great so far um, I, I, I'm, I'm regretting now that we're not staying for two weeks but uh, <laughs> we're here for a couple of days come in yesterday evening um, but the ambassador and the team have been fabulous so far bringing us around um, very useful meeting first of all um, we met AstraZeneca and they're locating in Dublin now. Uh, well, I mean, they've bought over the business in Dublin, but they're also uh, expanding with a 350 million investment in a new manufacturing plant there and in the in the farmer sector with 100 jobs, high-end jobs, which is great. But we engaged them yesterday just about their future and the future plans for Ireland and where they're going to go. 
Um, and I think the, their key message was around the whole energy production and sustainable energy. So that's key for them. But we're trying to promote the, a lot more Irish SMEs to get involved with them, both in Ireland and their, their supply chains around the world. So useful. Actually, a good discussion. Um, and was interesting, I mean, the ambassador touching on it here, um, Austin as well, that the the reason why they located in Ireland wasn't just all the different business reasons. It was their impression when they came on the, the Royal State visit a couple of years ago, 2019. Okay. They really got an insight into Ireland that they enjoyed and that helped shape his mind when it came to making a decision. Mm. So the shows that, 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 that it had the importance of the Irish community at home and abroad when, when, it, when it comes to securing business. Jesus, we'll happily take yeah. credit for that. I but last night, I think you were, you, were, you were there last night, but uh, we, we, then we had a good chance to meet the Irish community last night. And yeah. I think, uh, Phil, in fairness, all you and your team, all the work you're doing out here, both through the Gales, um, but also with the, with the Chamber of Commerce and then the Sweden Irish Society, a chance there to meet some, some really wonderful people and a great, great buzz there chatting and talking there as well. And I have to say, on behalf of everybody and indeed all the people listening to this podcast, we're delighted to have you over here. If we could go back, like I want to rewind a little bit to 2008 yeah. and the crisis there. I remember talking to Simon Coveney at that time and I think the community here kind of felt, at that time we had this thing called Think Irish. So we're trying to do exactly what AstraZeneca wanted to do. We wanted yeah. to put Irish SMEs Correct. into these discussions. And Simon and I talked about it at the time and he was going, look at America, the UK, that's where the big markets are. Has that changed? Has the Irish view of Sweden and the Nordic region changed over the last sort of 10 or 12 years? Uh, it definitely has. Um, uh, two reasons. Um, I think Brexit for number one, I had to refocus minds here. Um, I think most people didn't see that vote coming in 2016. But, but that changed um, the, the traditional route to market, to, to internationalise itself from an Irish SME point of view, was to go to UK first mm. and then maybe go, go beyond that. Um, but we had to work then for four or five years through our department, Enterprise Trade and Employment, to refocus the, the, the mindset of Irish business and where they were going. Um, and so the Nordic strategy has probably come out of that time frame as well. But in fairness too, I think Foreign Affairs had a big say in that. You, you referenced Simon Coburn, he's in Foreign Affairs now as well. So I think that the general belief was there's a massive opportunity in, in, the, in the Nordic countries here. So the strategy reflects that. Um, and we really want to develop our links there, political, cultural, business-like. Uh, and we can see even probably that strategy is only probably kicking in now. But even the last 10 years, the, the amount of business has gone from what? It's a 500 million to nearly 11, 1.1 billion or, or beyond mm-hmm. last year. So there's been a major move. Sweden is a major part of that. I mean, out of those, out of those block of four countries, I think Sweden is probably our, our biggest trading partner. Mm-hmm. A lot of potential there. Um, I get a sense just in the last 24 hours, there's a lot more in common with Ireland and Sweden than I would have even thought of. Um, mm. I've always had an interest in coming here, but I was never here. But I think there's a lot of potential here to, to develop a relationship. So you're right, things have changed um, since probably 2009, 2010, and um, where we're looking. Um, I would co-chair along with Robert Try the SME Task Force, and a big ask that we're having as, of, our, of our business community to, to think international markets and to look look forward to our field. And I think really, I think a lot of opportunities over here, so we're going to do that um, even for just from, from food sales alone, I mean, it's, it's up, what, 40% over the last year in some sectors, so it's in beef and lamb, so great potential. But I think there's a, I get a sense of a bit of crack here that, that, that I think will match the Irish mentality too. You're here, you know more about it than I know, but I'd say, yeah. I get that sense, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of similarities between the communities, so I'm looking forward to developing the relationship. We met the trade minister here today, uh, Anna Halbarry, 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 and uh, we reinforced and she agreed that the, with the embassy reopening in Dublin, the Swedish embassy, that's an important step. But we want to build around that now. And I think I got the sense from her and we certainly invited her that she's keen to come to visit Ireland yeah. and develop again another stronger relationship with the business community. So you've got Business Sweden and Enterprise Ireland, our embassies here, Bordbia, IDA, um, Falcher Ireland, Tourism Ireland, all the connections there. I think with all our agencies pulling together now, I think we could see a real strength in the relationship, you know, so... 
So we see them, or we see Sweden now in a very positive light. Mm. Uh, how do the Swedes see us? When you talk to Halberg this morning, do they, they kind of saw us always, or usually as, you know, that little island to the west of Britain. Some of them couldn't tell the difference, didn't realise that we'd had a country of our mm. own for many years. What impression did you get from her about Ireland? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I pick up that sense that people are only learning about Ireland a little bit more. Um, and, and to be fair, I suppose a lot of Irish are only learning about Sweden too. But I think there's an interest in, in doing more with us. Um, they were very supportive, uh, Sweden uh, were very supportive of Ireland after Brexit and during all those negotiations mm-hmm. and that withdrawal agreement. I think we were very lucky in Ireland that we got, we got strong support from all our European colleagues. But that was for twofold. I think the Irish community in all these countries have, had a, have made a really good impression. Uh, and I think have been ambassadors in a way for, for Ireland. So there was always a good relationship there. But then we put a lot of effort in since 2016 as a government to really get around to meet all our counterparts and mm-hmm. to reinforce the importance uh, of Europe to Ireland and that the difficulty of that breakup with ourselves in the UK and how awkward that was going to be in relation to Northern Ireland and peace. So there was a lot of effort put in there right across the diplomatic community um, to really get that message out there. And I think that's probably paid off. And maybe countries like Sweden are looking at Ireland again mm-hmm. uh, and thinking more about it. And as you said, we're an island off an island off the main, main coast of, of the mainland of Europe. So it's been a difficult place for us, but we're a very open economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we realised, I think you were probably there, Phil, during those those uh, early years where we put all our efforts into, when I say we, at the time, there was a, a big move just for housing construction and we realised selling houses to each other is not sustainable. And mm-hmm. uh, Richard Bruton probably covered some of your area. I, I remember him saying to me that back in 2008 or nine you know, we can't do well as a country if we just keep selling houses with each other. We yeah. have to go beyond that. And it's all about trade and trade links and investment. And I think, what, what I enjoy now, I mean, I'm involved in this now 20 years, but I'm in this department, Enterprise Trade and Employment. I was in it 2015 for a couple of years around the Action Plan for Jobs, part of that recovery phase after the financial crisis. And I'm back in it now. And we really have become an enterprise nation. Mm-hmm. We are thinking driving innovation, R&D, our education system is second to none. So there's really, I think we're a really strong base now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, construction's come back, but it's no longer the dominant part. It's, yeah. it's the right level, you know, as opposed to where it was. So I think as a country, we're in a good place. Um, COVID hit back a lot, uh, hit, set us back, but we're, we're recovering from that. What's happening in Ukraine probably has changed the world for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, as an Irish community, because I have a sense, you know, it's quite a strong community here, mm-hmm. but you're abroad, you might not always see what's, you've probably seen the changes in Ireland mm-hmm. when you come back to visit. But uh, we've changed a lot over the last 20, 20 25 years. But I think we're in a, in a good, stable, sound footing as well, I think, for the future. You know? mm-hmm. When you look at communities here and in the rest of the Nordic countries, we mentioned that thing, like I'm always interested in what we can do for you. What yeah. do you want from us? Do you want us to be ambassadors? Do you want us to go out there and sort of sell the country? Do you want us to explain these things? How can we help you? I think the biggest thing, though, is A, to be yourselves, because the Irish are popular. Uh, and I think because there's a strong community here, you know, the Swedish community are getting to meet you and see you and they're seeing what Ireland is through you. Mm. Um, so I said, be yourselves. I think I've been lucky enough now to be on, on a few of these uh, St. Patrick's Day missions over the last couple of years and I've been in Denmark, been in Poland twice, uh, been in Australia uh, and I've been here and every time I go there you see what the Irish community uh, and I mean I've met some Carmel's here since 1985, yeah. you know you met Phil who's here since 2007 or not Phil, um, Donald. Uh, Donald, you know and, and, and then Paul the last couple of years as well so a, but you can see over the years how they've integrated and played a role mm-hmm. in, in developing Ireland's reputation so that's what can you do 
I think, yes, it's definitely about building those relationships. Um, even AstraZeneca, that connection, it wasn't just because of all the work that's been done at a, at a high level. It's it's the relationship and the sense that they got when they came to visit Ireland, the chairman especially. Mm. Um, and likewise, when we meet, I've met businesses today uh, and, and even this morning, you know, their interaction with the Irish community here is a positive. Mm. Um, I'm not sure they're all playing Gaelic football yet, but that's not something yet. that I, I, I know you have a strategy there. <laughs> but uh, but it's, that's what it's about. It's about connections. And even we, we met the guys there from, um, is it not, not, not Norfolk, what, what the, the food company we met? Nordiska. 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 Nordiska, yeah. Yeah. Good chat with them. But again, mm. we were talking about, you know, for the, for, for, for the Swedish community and people to want to buy Irish goods, they have to know more about Ireland and like the story of Ireland. And that's what the Irish community can, can do, tell yeah. Ireland's story uh, at a real uh, human level. Yeah. yeah. There's an amazing thing that happened last year. As you well know, uh, we have these companies up building data centres for Facebook yeah. and Amazon and everything. And there was a company from the Swedish sort of midlands, about an hour and a half, two hours out of here. And they came in last year and they came to Gary Levan and they said, we want to sponsor Gaelic football. And Gary said, you don't even know what Gaelic football is. And he went, yeah. well, hang on a second. We're working with these people. We want to show our commitment to that. Mm. And that was one of the best things we've ever heard. Before we move on from this subject, right, mm. there's always a lot of talk at this time of the year about ministers jetting off around the world or junkets mm. and that mm. kind of thing. So I want you to tell me how the sausage is made, right? Do you <laughs> sit there and go, okay, you know, we'll pull it out of a hat to see who goes to the White House with a bowl of shamrock? Or how did you end up in Sweden this time? Well, I think the bowl of shamrock is always guaranteed, the T-shirt. Right? The t-shirt there's, no, there's no arguing over that. <laughs> Apart from that, then you're pitching to, to, to Simon Coburn in foreign affairs I think what happens is uh, the ambassadors here in each area so in this case it would be Austin would put in a strong case first of all for a delegation of some sort to come yeah. I'm not sure if Austin gets to pick the, or who he says he wants as a minister but certainly the, so each area the ambassadors would say look we, we really would value a visit here yep. uh, and something again because the embassy is reopened in Sweden in, our, in Dublin from the Swedish embassy we want to develop that relationship as well so here would be a high spot area to come to um, so how is it how is it, how is it picked for say right First of all, because you're right, not everybody realises the value of these visits. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're trying to explain to voters at home that this really is important. Uh, and they might be saying, well, you should be home with the parade. So I always try to pick visits that are in Europe because I like to try to get back for some of Patrick's Day activities if I can as well, yeah. to get the blend right. Because uh, I was involved in running the parades for years, so mm-hmm. I kind of have a sense of being wanting to be around as well. So I would always have said, look, it's time to go, we keep it. I prefer to do Europe, but I was sent to Australia once on a, on a 10-day visit mm-hmm. and 16 or 17 flights, you know. So, you get no sympathy and, for me there. No, I know that, yeah, yeah. And East Timor, <laughs> so it was an interesting one. But it is, I think they're really, really important. And you, you would like to do them. Uh, it's generally ministers and then the, the Can Corridor, Alaskan Corridor would go as well and junior ministers. And there was a, a debate this year because we've missed probably the last two years now with yeah. COVID. How big of a delegation should we send in terms of do you send ministers and junior ministers? But the decision was made. This is high priority for Ireland. The value um, to their a, a just reconnecting with our own Irish people and Irish mm-hmm. community is essential and I think we see and certainly when you go forward or afield uh, and when I say that you know if you go to Australia but I got a sense that happens in Sweden here too because there's probably not a lot of um, uh, visits here so it's important to do that just to reconnect but then the, it opens doors for Irish business and Irish community as well without a doubt businesses say to me they find it invaluable they, they, this opportunity this week and even our agencies you know if you're with Borbia with through the masses obviously rented by Zara and idea just that connection uh, around around the visit, but then the next part this time is a li- this this year is probably more important because what's happening in Ukraine, mm. and again just to show that show that solidarity and I think there's a real sense at home now around the importance of being part of that European club, yeah, um, but then it's important that we talk to each other about that as well and that we meet our European colleagues and mm. we do more of that so I, I think they're invaluable and we would have missed the last couple of years. Not just on Patrick's week, but even just EU council meetings, yeah. getting to know your colleagues and getting to meet them, and because that's important when it comes to decision making, mm. having that connection. And we're very lucky that we have people, extremely high level people, placed all around Europe through our embassies, through our enterprise Ireland offices, through our departments, um, 
offices will say in Brussels and like that. So we, we are, we're lucky to have that connection, mm. but I wouldn't take it for granted. I know. Without giving away any of the secrets of the things that were discussed now this morning, yeah. obviously, as you say, the Russian invading Ukraine has changed the map for pretty much everybody. Yeah. Um, that sense of solidarity that you talk about, how, how far does that extend? Because I think we were saying last night there that the Swedes have always had this idea of the Russian coming to Gotland or invading Finland or that kind of thing. Mm. Are these the kind of things that we're talking about? Or are we going to kind of kick the can down the road and see how the situation in Ukraine develops before we start to think about what Sweden or Finland are doing? Uh, to be fair, I suppose the, the initial response is is to try to what can you do for Ukraine first, uh, mm. and I think the most important thing Europe did, did was to open our doors. Mm. Uh, and I know Ukraine was kind of a part of a, an EU neighbourhood partnership, was there since two thousand and nine. So that probably made it easy for us to say, look at these are our European neighbours very much in the sense they're 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 operating and living very much the same as us. They're they're next door. They're probably due to join Europe. So the decision, I think that directive, that, that rule in Europe is there twenty years and never used. Mm. Where we actually said, okay, our doors are open, and and if you're coming from Ukraine, you can come and live and work in, in Europe like anybody else, like a European. To me, that was no, that was number one. Um, the response and the swiftness of the sanctions uh, again showed solidarity. Mm. Um, and then through the aid program at this stage, you know, in in, in probably Sweden is the same as Ireland. It's not military aid, mm. but it's 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 humanitarian. Aid and supports and so on, but it's channeled through Europe. That's essential. Um, but the conversation has moved on. Uh, in I, I sense the same here in Sweden as it is at home about our neutrality. Mm. Uh, and you know we kind of always assumed sure neutrality is is easy and it's a no brainer. But mm. now people are saying, well, well what would happen yeah. if uh, you know? So it's it's and it's not that you would make any decisions on that now in the next couple of months because mm. it shouldn't be about that. But it's about we have to actually have an honest conversation where we all stand to that. Mm. Uh, I think people are, are feel a sense of security being part of Europe mm. um, and clubbing together. What that means, we'll say, for, for Finland or, or for Estonia or for Sweden, I mean, I, I really get a sense here people are very, very concerned here. Yeah. A little bit different in Ireland because we're not seen as, you know, you're further away, whereas you share borders he, here yeah. and, and, and their neighbouring countries with Russia. So it's, it's, a, it's very real here, yeah. you know, and it's a worrying time. Um, not just... People are genuinely worried, and I, I know talking to family and everyone at home, people are kind of tracking the news and watching news. I've been soaked in by it, yeah, because uh, no one thought this would happen. You know, I mean, we haven't. Most of our age group, you know, I feel like you're probably, you know, grew up in peace times and yeah. did not see it was our grandparents that talked about world wars, not not only our generation. Yeah, so yeah. It's a bit of a change, and I think it's a knockback to people's confidence and where we are. And I think also, again, not taking life for granted, and people, you know, naturally because Europe can be a cumbersome. Um, show of democracy. You know, decision-making yeah. can be slow with 27 countries on the table. Democracy, I always say, costs money. So mm. not heaven. people will always question the European project. Yeah. Um, but people forget what it was set up to do was a peace. Yeah. And now they can see it. Uh, I think it's probably worth pointing out as well, though, Minister, that we have had war in Europe. We had what happened in Yugoslavia in the early 90s. And, and that's that's my sort of first memory of, and we had what happened in our own country in the 70s Correct. and 80s, yes. of course. Yeah. And it's just that, you know, it's trying to take the learning from that and see what we can do in the future. But mm. one of the things I wanted to move the discussion on to was we talked a lot about, or you mentioned the Nordic strategy, and we talked mm. about the business aspect of that, right? But we also have the cultural and sporting aspect of that. Now, mm. you know the sporting aspect is going to be of interest to me, but so is the cultural aspect. Mm. How far have we come since? the Nordic strategy was launched in 2021 on those aspects? I think it's only warming up because COVID probably delayed it. It's yeah. important. That first of all, I think the key for me is when you put a strategy together, that's like your business plan yeah. for your investment and for your decisions afterwards. So it sets out the tone and the strategy and then it's a bit like, uh, you know, other high, high, high government plans and everyone rolls in behind that. So I think the mm. culture end of, that, end of that now, we will see uh, over the next couple of years. But I think there's a great opportunity there because, I mean, that, that's where we went to our arts and our music and our culture. There's a lot. We have a very strong offering there in Ireland. I'm only learning a bit about the Swedish one. Yeah. But there's, again, it's about making those connections. And I think that's where, even when you talk to um, 
tours in Ireland this morning around what are they what what parts of their strategy are they going to try to win tourists to come to Ireland? Yeah. And a big end of that is going to be around the culture, even the film industry. Great potential there as well. So that's all tied into that as well. So I think I think we'll, we can only judge that in a couple of years' time. It's it's over the next three years out to 2025, we'll see will that work. I believe it will because uh, I know myself, these plans, it's about focusing the minds and have all government departments on the one hymn sheet yeah. and think of the same. And then it sends a message. So when we met the Trade Minister today, we could say, look, we have a strategy for the Nordic countries, we you know we want to do the business with you. We want to develop our cultural ties here, our cultural ties. We want to develop our relationships, uh, political as well as well, and that, that that means something to them too. It shows that we we have them on our map, mm. and then that makes them stand up like, oh, what's you know, let's take a more bigger interest in Ireland. Hence, you see the embassy reopening. Yeah. It's good to see. I mean, that was one of those things that drove me mad years ago when they closed it. You know, I'd be sitting there banging my fist on the table, you know. Um, one of the questions that always gets asked when you have a, like you said, like strategy is kind of like a business plan, right? Yeah. People are always going to ask you, okay, but where, like, where's the money? Where are the resources come yeah, from? Yeah, you know, yeah. because mm-hmm. we are coming out of a period of 10 or 15 years where we didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on this. Correct. Is there a sort of a financial commitment to backing, spreading mm-hmm. the arts mm-hmm. and Irish culture and Irish sport in the Nordic region? Yeah, I, I know on the, on the sport one, I know from talking to the guys last night, that's something we probably need to hone in more on because even if you take it, you, know, from, you don't have your pitches here that you'd like to have. Yeah. So that's something I do think that an Irish government should be able to assist more because I think a lot, A, from a sporting point of view, it's developing that relationship here locally, but actually as a service to the Irish community who are coming out here mm. and are working here. And if you're a member of those 450 odd companies that are here, that the, the sport and, and the sense of community you get through, certainly through the GAA, is essential. Mm. So I think we could do more in that space. I know there's some relationships that, are, that, that you know, over the years w- w- between the various departments, but that's one we could do more on. On the cultural end, you will see the, the money will follow the strategy because if you, even just take an example, they were with, with, uh, from a, from a Fawcett Ireland point of view, their budget has doubled this year. Yeah. Uh, sorry, up by about 50, I don't say doubled, up by about 50%. Yeah. So again, there's a commitment to resources. And I think you're being honest, we didn't have the money, we'll say, from 2009 to, I'd say, about 2018 no. to invest uh, in our global network. And now we're trying to correct that. Uh, we didn't have it to invest in Hump Ball, to be honest with you, back home. People even said to me, for any category, housing or anything else, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? There was no money. People, yeah. probably, people probably forget that for a number of years there, Ireland was in a very difficult place. And I know a lot of people people choose to leave for different reasons, Ireland. But even back in 2008, nine, those couple of years, I remember, I remember Cam's knocking on doors in 2011. Mm. That's, that's only 11 years ago, 2011. Mothers and fathers would say to me in the doors, we see no future for our country. Yeah. Our children are going to have to go abroad. Like People had lost all hope in Ireland and that's only 10 years ago. Mm. So I'm delighted to be able to, see, and, 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 and the last couple of years on these trips, they will say to people, look at all, Ireland is flying again and has a, a sustainable future. Yeah. You know, people can choose to go abroad and can come back rather than be forced to go abroad. To me, that's important. Yeah. You know, you were a very young man when you got into politics. I think you were. were you I'm still a young man. What are you saying? I'm still a young man. <laughs> I tell you, me sitting here with Santa Claus with my beard, you know. Um, but there was that thing of you went. I think you were 21 when you were elected councillor for the first time. Yes, right? honestly, really. So you were very. I think you were the youngest councillor in the country at the time, if not ever. Um, you, I, I don't think you have any experience of emigration yourself personally. You no, never no, lived I, in I, London. I, and you're right, probably because I started politics too young. Um, yeah. And if I had one regret, is that I didn't get didn't get to choose to go abroad. I mean, I've, I've travelled quite a lot. Go to Australia for a year. Yeah, go and go mad. I mean, I, 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 had to, I had to do a year's um, um, party in Australia in three weeks, you know, so, but uh, yeah, you're right, because I, I did start quite young. I mean, I came into politics, I think it was only 20 when I decided to, to enter it, 21 uh, at a council level, and then I was in the doll at 23, so 
very young and it was a great experience. I loved it all. But, you, you know, there are choices you make. You miss out on other things as well. So I didn't get to travel. And a lot of my family would have travelled and spent a year mm. in Australia and done all that as well. So I'd be envious of that. But I've always said I'd do it when I'm older. Yeah. Um, so when, when, I'm, when I'm kicked out of the door, which could happen at any stage in our business, then I might, uh, might have to do a bit of travelling then, you know. Mm. Have, would have been interested in going to Africa too, to be honest with you, at some stage. Yeah. Um, because a lot of family members over the years would have, would have located UK, Australia, Africa. So yeah. How have they influenced how you see those of us who live abroad because there is that thing I had a woman say to me once when I was in Dublin uh, I was actually asked by the Social Democrats if I consider running for uh, mm. MEP there at one point and I went up against Gary Gannon who's now a colleague oh, of yours yeah. in the dog okay. and I lost by a few votes boo but um, <laughs> I remember a woman saying to me she wouldn't vote for me in that particular uh, internal election because she would have preferred somebody who stayed or who was there and contributed during the bad times you know during that kind of thing and you know what that's as valid that's, yeah, that's yeah, fair yeah, enough right. you know we, as Irish people abroad, we think that we sort of contribute in different ways. So I was just wondering how much contact you have with the people in your family who've mm. taken the emigrant path and if that's influenced you in your own politics at all. Oh, it certainly has. Uh, and probably going back to my, my dad's generation, his cousins, they had to go abroad. Yeah. Uh, and that certainly influenced your thinking of, of how important it is to make the right decisions for Ireland, that we have a sustainable future and that we can never let happen again what happened mm. with the crash. You know, so people aren't forced to go abroad. So that's, that's one category. And then I have a lot of loads of friends and family who travelled. Again, some had to go after the construction sector fell apart in, in 2008, 2009. Again, were forced to go abroad. Others had chose before that to travel and do a bit of work and so on. So you do learn from that. And, and I, I, I really enjoy talking to people who have travelled, but actually meeting the Irish community who have permanently moved, mm. because you learn a lot from that. And I'm surprised, I know you mentioned the attitude and you're not holding it against that person, not voting for you, but I'm surprised at the attitude, because I would think we could learn a lot by our, our Irish people living abroad who are seeing different things, because we don't get everything right in Ireland, yeah. we know that, and we have to learn from each other. And I would have seen, you mentioned Simon Coven earlier on, I mean, Simon, as a young person, came out to Europe for a term. Yeah. And I see it, if you look at a lot of the Nordic countries, they do that. The politicians actually go and spend a term or two in Europe first mm -hmm. and then come back and be ministers or be in government. And I think on the round, you're possibly a better politician for it, you know, because yeah. of that experience abroad. So likewise, someone who's lived and worked abroad, I think can contribute more to decision making at home because uh, we can't forget that sometimes when you're making decisions or voting in the door, what's happening mm -hmm. beyond Ireland. And again, uh, as, a, as a trading nation that exports 90% of what we produce, we have to be obviously have a night for abroad yeah. and that having that connection into as many countries as we possibly can is essential. Mm. You know? One of the thorny issues that comes up every time there's an election is the idea of voting rights for immigrants. Yeah. And I remember uh, talking to Leo Varadkar about this in RTE one Sunday morning and he was going, no, I'm never going to let you vote. Now, I think it was me personally. He <laughs> yeah, didn't want to vote. You're a smart man, were you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much so. You know? But is that something that uh, when you look at President Michael D. Higgins, when you look at the presidency as being everybody's head of state no yes. matter where they are. Is this something that comes up? Because there's been talk of a, a citizen's assembly, there's been talk of a referendum, and I know that plenty of the people that you have met and are going to meet in the next couple mm. of days, it's not a burning issue for them. They're not going to like you or dislike you or tell people back home to vote for you or not vote for you because yeah. of it. But is it something that comes up at Cabinet or within the party at all? Yeah, it does. It's come up quite a lot. Uh, I would have took the legislation through the channel uh, mm. to allow for this when, when Joe McHugh was our minister. Uh, for diaspora at that stage as well. And uh, it's something we're very much committed to. Um, now, in terms of the timing of it, um, my understanding is that we have, we've agreed. You're going to wait until I'm dead, I mean, yeah, yeah. before What age you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're looking too healthy. We have to try and fatten you up a little bit. But, the, you know, the, the, so the agreement is that we will, I think it won't be in in time for the next presidential election. And I think it's right that we would start uh, at, the, at the presidential election. It's probably a bit more awkward if you, if you say for, for a Dáil election. And I'm not sure that's the ask either. Because, again, the, the decision-making in the Dáil on a day-to-day -day basis affects mainly people 
people who are living in Ireland. Mm-hmm. But certainly from a presidential point of view, I think it's I would be totally supportive of it. Uh, would would think we should do it. It part of the difficulty was because I was in my own department for, for a couple of years and I was in the department of local government. They managed elections as well. Mm-hmm. And after the decision was made by the Dáil to allow for this vote, it was well okay, legally allowing for it and having the referendum, and then actually. How do you manage it? How do you make it happen? Practically, yeah. as, 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 as very difficult because potentially, I know there's not 70 million, but it's potentially that space people would say they have a connection to back into Ireland and would would might want a voting right. So they'd be trying to work on that, how to get that right. Uh, so I think it'll be for, to begin with anybody who has an Irish passport. Mm-hmm. Certainly, no matter where you live, I think we'll get the vote first. But I think it's I think it's a progressive move. Uh, it probably ha- ha- probably hasn't happened quick enough mm-hmm. for those who are living abroad and who are, who are interested in this. But I think to me, it's important that it is going to happen and that that decision is made. One of the, the big things about this country, and a man like you who's been a long time in politics will know this, is that Sweden and the Nordic region have been these sort of bastions of social democracy. Yeah. They've done an awful lot of things wrong, but they've done certain things right. When you're here, you're obviously in tune with the Irish community and with the business community here. Yeah. Are you looking for anywhere else for inspiration, for things, ideas that you might export back to Ireland? Oh, well, I'm always looking. Yeah, and, and if you're in politics, you're constantly looking around to see what you can learn. Actually, we're meeting the social partners tonight as well, just oh, to have a conversation with them, because I, I would engage quite a lot with the Swedish minister in this space, because a lot of new directors coming through Europe around mm. social partnership, minimum wage, labour laws, um, collective bargaining, things like that. So, so, so that is a, a, is a very hot topic at the moment mm. at a European level. So we're meeting social partners here tonight, because it is often lauded that they have a very good network here, but it's not forced on them. Uh, yeah. It's traditional. There's been a very strong social uh, partnership approach, mm. business community coming together with the with the with the unions and so on, and actually teasing things out. I think we do that. I think we achieve that quite well in Ireland as well. To be honest with you, mm. um, and I think what's what's important for me because I, I cover labour and employment law as well. There's very strong protections in Ireland for anyone in labour law too. And mm. the Thomas is very clear. But we want to try to improve the conditions. So I mean, our minimum wage would be regarded as it's technically the second highest in Europe. In, in relative in spending powers, it's probably fifth. So we want to improve on that. But again, the cost of living is a big impact on that, certainly with housing as well, because we recognise housing is a, a long way off being fixed. So that's that's causing a major pressure on people's wages. But our minimum wages are there. We are committed now as a government um, to bring in a living wage um, but before the end of the government. So there's a team, a group has been set up, a, a, a minimum wage commission, who will report on that in the summer and then set out kind of a two-year strategy to get to that. Mm. Now that minimum wage, I don't know what it'll be set at, but it'll certainly, I have no doubt, it'll be one of the highest... Do you want me to... Keep going. You be, keep going. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just It'd checking the time here. I have yeah. to up Sorry, I probably, yeah. probably talk too much. No, no, but, they, but that that minimum that that living wage concept, I think, is big, uh, and that that will that will come true. Um, it'll it'll be probably confirmed and announced in the autumn, and then implemented over a couple of years. Mm. Again, that puts pressure on business. But we have said to business, look, if there's a war for talent out there, if we can improve the conditions, the the pay conditions, the labour protections, the days off, the bank holidays, all that, sick pay legislation is important. That we're bringing in now as well. That's important to 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 enhance the quality of the jobs, mm. and that helps in itself attract more talent and, and, and deal with that issue too. But it 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 I I would say we have quite strong um social partnership um. Served as well in the past too, and it's still it's, and it's still quite strong there. It's not exactly the same formal model you have here in Sweden. I'll learn more about it tonight when I'm here, mm. but uh, yeah, I would le- would learn from that. Other countries that we can learn from, um, you, you pick up something everywhere you go, yeah. every visit you go, you know. And I think you asked me earlier on, sorry, what could the Irish diaspora do more? For? I think possibly you need to find some from some better way to capture what you see that's mm. positive in these countries, yeah. and send back to us in a formal way that we could then try to implement. Because, you know, you don't get the full story at, at, we'll say, at an EU meeting or a council of ministers meeting or meeting colleagues or businesses. But you're living here, so you see all the pros and cons. Yeah. I think maybe we should develop some way internationally to be able to capture that feedback because there's plenty to learn, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like, you come on a visit like this, right, and you have two or three days, it's all packed in. 
you see plenty of good stuff, but it's like everything else, you know, when you, if you go on holidays and you plan to change X, Y, and Z, then you go home and, you, and life takes over. So we had a formal way, I think, to, 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 to really learn from each other and put in place some good practices. That, that to me, would be a useful thing we could develop, develop with the Irish community. Yeah. When you look back over probably two deca- decades in politics now... Mm. Uh, you make me sound old, Phil, here. I, love <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I don't know how it can because you're only about 21, you know. But two decades in politics. What's the biggest change you've seen from Ireland towards the Irish diaspora? Have you seen things change in that time? I mean, maybe the crash came right in the middle of your time there as well, right? Uh, towards the Irish diaspora. Um, I, I don't think I've sensed a change. I think, I think I've seen a maturity in how we treat, um, we'll say other countries coming to Ireland and mm. how we engage with that. Because, um, you know, as, as a kid, you grow up and you see the, the traditional tourism thing and, and, and how, how, how the Americans will be attracted in and, and treated. But I think the, the gathering was ran, I think it was, was it 2012, 2013. Yeah. That was a really sense of community, uh, bringing people back home to Ireland, um, but also the sense of working together in partnership with Ireland. Um, I think so. I think there's a better relationship um, we, you know, with, with probably I would say traditional supporters of Ireland, that that's a strengthened relationship. But I, I don't sense a, a change to the Irish diaspora in any negative or positive way because I've I've never I've never seen it in a bad way to be honest with you. Because I mean, I, I traditionally always had cousins and friends living abroad, so mm. to me it was just normal as I was growing up, you know. And in the next two decades that you're going to be in politics, because I don't think Ooh. they're going to vote you out. Yeah, hey, you never know. You never know. <laughs> what would you like to change for the Irish diaspora in that time if you could if you could wave your magic wand? I think again, I think, well, I suppose you're asking about change. I suppose there's a stronger connection back home because of technology. And I think that's something that's, that's been really positive. So people now, when they're abroad, don't feel just that they're so far away. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I would have had probably grand uncles who went to America and, and were never seen, seen again, again yeah. you know, and then next thing you hear they're dead. Mm. You know, that's gone now. Uh, I think with all the change in technology, and even more so the last two years because of COVID, that, you know, you're, you're talking to somebody on Zoom or any, any of the platforms overnight. Like, there's it, a real sense of you're, you're close to home, you're close there. Um, what could be changed? I think, again, it's probably investing in just that education and enterprise mm. relationship and developing that and recognising that as a country, we have to be constantly future-proofing. And we don't. I think the one thing that probably the Nordic countries do better than we do uh, is they believe in long-term thinking. They believe in the science and the evidence. I think we have to, as a country, grow up a little bit more and learn to have better conversations around long-term planning, long-term decision-making, um, and long-term investment strategies, and, and be a bit more honest with ourselves. Uh, that tough decisions have to be made sometimes. Um, and that's important for me. And so, number one, if we do that, that means that Irish people living abroad will always feel like they can come home whenever they want because Ireland will, should always be in a good, stable condition. Because um, if you look, if I, I look through on the crash here, if you take, you know, everybody was hit crash-wise, but countries that had their public finances in order, like Austria, mm-hmm. like Sweden, like Finland, they didn't take the hit that we took in Ireland. No. So it can never happen again. So I think our, our commitment to any, anyone's Irish living, living abroad or living at home should be that we, that we don't enter into that position as a country that we can crash again, that we run a sustainable uh, country, public finances are always in order, long-term thinking that solves solutions. For me, the biggest thing we probably need to fix is housing, because again, if you're an Irish person living abroad, trying to come home, That'll be a big deterrent, uh, yeah. that cost of living because of the price of a house. And I'd, again, going back to long-term thinking, I do believe the strategies and plans are in place now to, to get us there. They're still only halfway through, but there's, 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 there's 2040 plans, out to 2040 plans in mm-hmm. place now that if we stick to them, we shouldn't end up in that situation again because I think if you're living abroad, you, it, it'd be nice to know you can always come home. Yeah. And that'd be the best commitment we can make to anybody. Well, you can always come back to Stockholm. Thanks very much. Enjoy the here. rest of your time here. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.
flera håll i världen firas idag St. Patrick's Day, Irlands nationaldag, till minne av landets skyddshelgon. USA, som är hem till många med irländsk bakgrund, är traditionen att fira högtiden stark. Och där är förberedelserna och festandet såklart i full gång. Bland annat har Chicagofloden återfått sin traditionsenligt gröna färg. Hey, you go rounded off there with a little report from three years ago on Sweden's TV4 where they were talking about the celebration of St. Patrick's Day in New York and Chicago and how they colour the river green and all that kind of thing. And uh, we can only hope now that uh, with the pandemic over and that we'll have a similar celebration around the world, not least in Stockholm. So the parade takes place this weekend, or sorry, this weekend, yeah, on Saturday. Uh, we're all gathering there at 12 o'clock and the parade itself starts at half past one. Uh, there's plenty of Irish bars around the country. There's plenty of bars around the country in general that uh, where the Guinness will flow and the music will be played and the songs will be sung and the pogues will be stuck on around 10 o'clock. And on Friday, there'll be plenty of sore heads around the place, but we'll have had a great day out anyway. Wherever you're going, enjoy yourself. As I say, I will be taking part in the parade here in Stockholm. I'll be in Veerstrom's pub at some point this week as well uh, to meet a few of you and to, to see what's going on. And what I'm going to try to do for next week's podcast, right? I don't know if there'll be any sort of formal interviews, but I'm just going to talk to people on the phone and bring the microphones I have with me and just talk to them and we'll record stuff and I'll just bang it all together over the weekend we'll put it out on Monday morning and let that be it then for St. Patrick's Day this year but wherever you are celebrating uh, with family with friends if you're on your own if you're the only Irish person in the town I don't care right uh, just enjoy yourself have a good time like I said before put the family put the kids in the middle of it let them enjoy it as much as possible and we shall reconvene again my friends on Monday morning at 7 o'clock when the next episode drops and we go through all that and then after that your god only knows who we'll be talking to next so take care of yourselves take care of one another enjoy your saint patrick's day and i shall talk to you all again very very soon indeed